Hope everybody had a great Christmas. Hope that uh, post-holiday depression hasn't settled in like it has for me too early yet. Uh, Christmas is my favorite time of the year, so as soon as it's over, I'm like, well, it's 364 more days till we got Christmas again. So uh, we hope that you had a great Christmas. We're glad to see you this morning. Hope you have great plans for a great new year. And uh, I'm super, super excited to be a part of this series that we've been in, Let There Be Joy. For the last four or five weeks, we've been talking about joy. What is joy? Uh, how do we get it? What is Christmas joy all about? And everything's been fantastic. Uh, and I want to encourage you as as we continue through this into this next year, um, to spend some time, go back, listen to those, watch them on Facebook, listen to them on the website. It's been a great series, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Well, uh, one of my favorite movie trilogies when I was growing up as a kid was the movie trilogy Back to the Future. Anybody like Back to the Future out there? With uh, yeah, well, yeah, actually a lot of y'all. All right, we're all nerds together. That's okay. Uh, I love it. It's Doc Brown and Marty McFly, right, flying around in a flying DeLorean going 88 miles an hour, right, because you got to get to the future and messing up everybody's life and then going back and fixing it and just some of the best. Like I watched it not too long ago, and I'm going to tell you something. After 30-something, what, 40-something years maybe? Uh, it came out in the 80s, however many years that is. Uh, it still holds up. That's a pretty good movie. Some of y'all may be going home watching it today. I don't know. But, um, but I love it. And in fact, my favorite one out of all three is part two. Part two is when they actually go, the movie's set in 1985, and they jump ahead 30 years to October 21st, 2015. Like three years ago, 2015. And in the movie, it's so funny, it's, it's as if they just sat down and said, okay, what is the future going to be like? And it's so funny to look at what the 1980s thought the future currently was going to be like. Like, it's as if they all just sat in a room and said, okay, what, what if we have flying cars in 30 years, guys? I mean, what, what if we have flying skateboards? What if we have, like, flying dog walkers, right? You see that in one of the scenes. Like, everything had to be flying, apparently, in, the, in 30 years ago. That's just what they thought. Right? There's all this stuff that's going on. And it's so funny because you look at it as though like, wow, this is what they thought the future was going to be like. Although I do think it's kind of funny that they, they couldn't quite, people in the 1980s just could not imagine a future without having fax machines. Because they still have fax machines in there that still work just like they do. So I don't know, maybe they're just that essential to business, I don't know. But what I love about that movie, and as I've watched it before, the thought has popped into my mind that a lot of great things have been accomplished because we asked that question, what if? What if we had this motorized carriage that when you press on the pedal, the wheels turn, and we can do away with the horse and buggy because now we have this automatic machine that moves us from place to place. Wouldn't that be amazing? What if we took wire and ran it through the walls of a house and used light bulbs to, and electricity to light our houses and buildings rather than gas lanterns? What if we had a machine that would let man fly? Like you think of a lot of great things have been accomplished throughout the history of mankind because they ask that question, well, what if? What if this could happen? And the same thing happens in our own lives, doesn't it? What if I get really bold and I asked her out on a date? What, what if we decide to get married? What if we decide to have kids now rather than later? What, what if I changed my career from this one to that one? What, what if... What if... I accepted my past without allowing my past to determine my future. What, what, what if, what if I understood that I have pain that I've experienced in my life, but I didn't allow that pain to define my life? What if I had joy 
not only whenever we're talking about joy in the month of December, but what if I maintained and sustained joy throughout my life throughout all of next year? What would your life begin to look like? And lots of things have happened for, in our lives. All of us have experienced those things in our lives that we would not have otherwise experienced had we not asked that question, what if, don't we? And, and from that, from that, that question, we've had successes maybe in our lives, and then we've also had great failures in our lives. When things go really well and things turn out even better and exceed our expectation, it's easy to, to maintain joy in those moments, isn't it? When things are going well, when everything's great, it's like, oh, this is awesome. You know, Christmas morning, the kids are opening the gifts. You're like, oh, joy is easy. But then five minutes later, when all the wrapping is done, and if you've got three kids like ours, it's in those moments of life that sometimes you step back and you go, where's all the joy at? It's in those moments when we fall flat on our face. It's in those moments where things don't turn out the way that we expected. It's when things don't go the way that we thought that they were going to go. It's in those moments of life that sometimes it feels like joy is just out of reach, isn't it? And so the question that I want us to answer this morning as we wrap up this series about joy, as we look back on 2018 and then look ahead into 2019, the question that I want us to answer this morning is a very simple one, but I think it's a very important one is how do we maintain joy in our lives? We've been talking about joy for the last four or five weeks, and some of the most joyous time of the year, right? It's, it seems pretty easy to do that. But how do we maintain joy whenever February comes around and it's 30 below zero? How, how, do, we, how do we maintain joy in August when it's 150 degrees outside, right? Don't worry, the heat's coming for all you heat lovers out there, okay? How do we maintain joy whenever things don't go well in the office? How do we maintain joy when things don't go well in our families? How do we maintain joy so that in the ups and downs of life, how do we make sure that joy stays right here in the midst of it all? That's the question that I want us to answer this morning. Now notice, the question we are not going to answer this morning. The question we are not going to answer this morning is, how do I fix all of my problems so that I can be happy? That's not the question that we're going to answer this morning. Because as all of us know, life is full of struggles and trials, isn't it? Life is full of storms that come and go in our lives. That It's inevitable that 2019 is going to have those seasons in each one of our lives for each one of us. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament said, if you want to escape from the trials of life, you're going to have to leave this world behind. But the fact of the matter is, is I love what the half-brother of Jesus, James, who was the leader in the early church, here's what James said in his, first, in his letter in James chapter 1. He said, consider it pure joy. Consider it joy when you face what? Trials. When you face trials of many different kinds. Why? He says, because you know. You know this. Like this is something, it's like every single one of us know. We hate trials, but we all know this. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith it develops perseverance, and perseverance must, must, must complete its work so that you can be mature and complete, lacking what? Nothing. What that tells me is that we will never be mature and complete, lacking nothing, unless we first gain perseverance. And we'll never gain perseverance in our lives unless we face trials of many kinds. That's why we can find joy. Even in the midst of hard situations, even when we feel like our faith is being tested, we can maintain joy because we know what ultimately these struggles and trials and storms of life are producing in us. We're going to face them. So let's shape our perspective about when they come. I love what Franklin Roosevelt said. You can see it on the screen. Franklin Roosevelt said, A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. 
A, skilled sea, a, a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. How does a sailor become skilled? It's when they face storms. It's when they face difficulties. It's whenever the wind is whipping. It's whenever everything's going on and they've got to issue commands and emergencies are going on and they get better and better and better at facing the storms that they face in their lives. Now, if you're like me, I would love for 2019 to just be a smooth sea. Let's just cruise through this next year. Let it be awesome, God. Let just everything be blessing, blessing, everything be awesome. But then I really stop and ponder it, and I think to myself, but you know what? If all I have is a smooth sea in 2019, then I'll be the exact same person this time next year. I'll really not have grown. I'll really not have changed. I really won't have gained perseverance. I won't have become more mature. I won't have become more complete and being the, pe- the person that God ultimately wants me to be. And the same is true for you. A smooth sea never made a skilled Sailor. So the question we're going to answer this morning is when those storms come in our lives, because we know that they will, how do we maintain joy and perspective in the midst of it? That's the question I want us to answer this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, if you have a mobile device, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're joining us online on Facebook Live, I want to welcome you. Turn with us to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, this is not a passage that you typically go to when you want to talk about joy. Uh, this, In fact, joy isn't even mentioned in this passage at all. But the reason why I think it's so vitally important for us to walk through these, these five verses this morning, 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, the reason why it's so vital for us is because it serves as this foundation for our faith. It serves as a foundation that we can kind of build upon to shape our perspective, to shape what we, how we view the world, how we view our lives, how we view God. It impacts all aspects of it, and as we get through it, you'll begin to see that as we unpack it this morning, all right? So here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, in verse 1, it's important that we understand that when you're studying the Scriptures, and maybe this is just a helpful tool as you move through 2019, when you're studying the Scriptures, we have to understand that context is king. Okay? Everything helps us, what helps us to understand what a passage means is understanding the context in which it was written. Okay? The thing that I always like to tell people when they're studying the Scriptures is everything written in the Scriptures was written from a real situation to a real situation about a real situation. Are you with me? And it's important for us that if we want to get to the meaning of the text and really find out what is the text saying, we have to understand each of those three elements. What's going on with the person writing it? What's going on in the situation that they're writing to? What's going on in the midst? What are they talking about that helps us to get to the nugget of truth that we can take and apply to our own lives? So Paul is writing to this ancient church that is in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was sort of the uh, ancient equivalent of Las Vegas, okay? It was Sin City, okay? That, that's kind of what Corinth was. Like, Corinth had one of those uh, a, a, sort of the, the reputation of being kind of the wild city. It was incredibly wealthy, lots of money. It was major in the commerce of the ancient world in Greece, lots of goods and marketing going through the city. They had lots of wealth, and their religious practices, I, I see a few kids, so I'll try to keep this PG, um, uh, is that uh, they would go to these temples and to worship the gods, they would have relations with uh, females, if you pick up my drift there. They, they, that's how they would worship the gods. And so this was, this was sort of the whole culture of Corinth, and yet this is a place that the Apostle Paul traveled to and planted a church in this culture and set up a church and lived there for a year and a half. So he knows these people incredibly well. He knows their names, he knows the situations they've come through, he knows their stories of faith, and yet he continued to travel on and plant churches. So he's writing this letter back to them, and this is what Paul says in verse 1. 
He says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, speaking of himself, who am, quote, notice his air quotes here, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold whenever I am away from you. What has happened here in this second letter, it's actually Paul's fourth letter, but we call it 2 Corinthians because we only have two of his four letters that he actually wrote to them. But in 2 Corinthians, what has happened is there have been these people that have infiltrated the church and they have now set up shop in opposition to the Apostle Paul. Now, I'm sure none of us have ever been in a church situation like that before, right? And these people, in essence, when Paul says do this, they say do that. When Paul says do that, they say do this. They are completely hostile towards Paul, and they are bickering about Paul, especially when he's awake. Now think about this. In essence, what they are doing is in Paul's absence, they're calling him a coward. They're saying, oh yeah, Paul, whenever you're with us, yeah, you're real timid. But then you get real bold whenever you go away and you write these letters to us. Man, what kind of a man are you? Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're real bold when you're writing to us, Paul, but then when you get here, we actually intimidate you. You're a coward is what they're saying. Can you imagine? Now, this isn't, remember, Paul did not have the technology that he could be able to Facebook Live himself in or Skype video himself in and say, okay, listen, what's the problem here? Let's talk about this. Let's discuss this. Let's walk through the issue here so that we can get all this worked out and have peace and harmony in the church. No, he's having to write on a piece of papyrus that would later deteriorate, and he had to roll it up, give it to a trusted confidant who then had to cross the ocean or go over the roads and may die in the process. It may never even get there. Can you imagine how maddening this would be for a leader like Paul in the early church? And so he says to them, he says, listen, you that that are saying these things, yeah, let's look at the next verse. He says, don't think that I'm going to let this slide. Verse two, he says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people. Yeah, I know who you are who think that we, he and his companions, live by the standards of the world. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, don't think for one moment that I ain't going to deal with this problem with all you people that are trying to say that me and my companions who are out suffering for the gospel, preaching the gospel, being persecuted for the gospel, being stoned for the gospel, having all these bad things, being threatened because of the gospel, and yet you're saying in my absence that I don't live according to the message that I preach. Do you think that Paul's facing a little bit of conflict in his life in this moment? Do you think that Paul's having a little bit of relational issues going on here? That he's frustrated with people? That he's frustrated about the situation? He's frustrated about the the storm that's been going on? He knows these people. He spent a year and a half with them. He planted the church. He's invested in their lives spiritually. He's seen them grow, becoming disciples. And now these other people are coming in and messing the whole thing up. And he's somewhere else planting another church. Can you imagine I think Paul's probably facing a little bit of frustration in his own life, isn't he? I think all of us can identify with at least the idea that we all have faced that type of conflict, that type of frustration with people, with situations that we really can't do anything about in our lives, don't we? That's just the first two verses. And then it seems when we get to verse 3, it's as if Paul, I don't know if he, this is just kind of my idea, okay? You can take it or leave it for what it's not. But it's almost as if Paul says, okay, you know what? Let me take a sidebar here. Because this is a teachable moment. This is a teachable moment for the entire church. Because these letters were read out loud to the entire congregation. And so he says, okay, yeah, there's people that are causing some problems, and I have some conflict with that. This, let's take a, a teachable moment here, and let's talk about conflict and how we as believers need to deal with conflict and the storms and the frustrations we face in life. Are you with me? So this is where he picks up in verse 3. 
He says, for though we live in the world, though we live in this flesh, we do not wage war the way that the world does. In other words, yes, we face conflicts and we face hardships and we face trials in life, but we don't face conflict the way that comes most natural to us in our flesh. That's what Paul is in essence saying to them. The things that we want to do, the things that when somebody says something to you, when somebody comments about you on Facebook and they don't use your name but you know it's about you, we, Paul says we, we don't respond in the way that we want to write. Man, we want to type, man, we're going back and forth. I'm going to say this and I'm going to say, I'm not going to use your name either. I'll delete that and then I'm going to say this. Like Paul says, we don't wage war the way that the world does, the way that comes most natural to our flesh. We live in the world, but we recognize that the world's methods for facing the conflicts and trials of our lives are insufficient. I don't know how many times in my life I've had conflict, I've had, I've had issues, I've faced trials of many kinds, and, and, I ha- and I have responded in a way that just comes natural to my flesh, and I made the problem worse. I'm sure I'm the only person in the room that's done that before. The fact of the matter is, is you can just be driving down the road with your spouse or with a friend, and, and all of a sudden they say something that just pushes your buttons the right way. And instead of responding in love and with grace and compassion and faithfulness to guard their heart, boy, a thought pops into your mind, and it is out of your mouth before you can stop it. And then you know you said the wrong thing because it gets real quiet, doesn't it? And instead of responding in the way of Christ, instead of responding and putting that person ahead of yourself, boy, we just attack and attack and attack and attack because we've got to win the argument, right? And we may have won the argument. We may have made our point. But at what cost? We may have won that moment, but are we glad we won it in that way? Paul says, we face conflict. We face conflict just like the rest of the world does. He says, but as believers, we don't use the same methods of the world. Those things that come most natural to us. Rather, the way of Christ is to respond with love. To love your enemies, Jesus said. Love that Alabama fan in your life. I know it's going to be hard, Sooner fans. But we'll get there. Come on. He says, love your enemies, those people that always seem to be against you, those people that seem to say the right things and do the right things and just perturb you all the time, that, that drag you down. He says, love your enemies. Pray, do good to those that would persecute you, that would literally harm you, harm your emotions, harm you physically, harm you mentally. Pray for them, do good for them. Let me tell you something. The way of Christ will be maddening to your flesh, but it will be freeing for your soul. Paul goes on. He says in verse 4, he says, the weapons that we fight with. Okay, so, so we're not just supposed to be a doormat. Okay, I like that, Paul. Okay, he says, we, we do fight. He says, but the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. In other words, as believers, we're not going to pick up, you know, buoy knives and rocket launchers and grenades and bullets. And like, he says, listen, we fight, but we don't fight the same way that the world does. And then he says, he says, on the contrary, so he's contrasting these two views, this how the world faces conflict and how we as believers should face conflict. Are you with me? So he says, on the contrary, they, our weapons, have divine power, meaning they have, they have been powered and energized by God to demolish strongholds. 
So he's contrasting these two views. And I think initially Paul would say to us, listen, you need to be careful. Be careful. Because as believers, we can become so wrapped up in the things of this life and in this world that we can run headlong into conflicts with the wrong weapons in hand. And then what is ultimately produced in our lives because of it. And for some of you, maybe maybe you're joining us on Facebook Live, maybe you're here in the room, you might be incredibly frustrated with your relationship with God right now. You might be incredibly frustrated with your walk with Christ right now. And the reason that you're so frustrated right now in the midst of the conflicts and trials of your life, the reason you're frustrated with God is because you have stepped out and you are facing these conflicts in ways that God never intended you to. That can be frustrating. Because when we run headlong, when we have our perspective shaped by the conflict rather than having our perspective shaped upon the one who can see us through that conflict, then we will let joy slip away from our lives. But when we allow our perspective of what's right in front of us, the situation, the conflict, the trial, when we allow our perspective to be shaped upon the one who has saved us, who has rescued us and redeemed us, when our, then we will find that our joy stands firm no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Paul says we have divine power to pull down strongholds. Now what's a stronghold? Well, Paul tells us in the very next verse, in verse 5. This is the key verse, I think, of the whole entire message. It's this. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension or idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What I have learned in my short 35 years, what I have learned is that the battlefield for my life, the battlefield for my joy, The battlefield of my hope, the battlefield of my entire life is waged right here. A little bit of extra there. Emphasize the point. It's right here. It's right here in our minds. The battleground for your life takes place right here in your mind. Paul says, listen, the strongholds that we face in our lives, these are thoughts and ideas and arguments that set themselves up against what we know to be true about God. That's what a stronghold is. That's what Paul says the fortresses of our lives are. The thoughts that you entertain, the ideas that you embrace, and the arguments that you allow to convince you. These three things shape every aspect of our lives. They shape what you believe about God. They shape what you believe about yourself. They shape what you believe about your spouse, your kids, your parenting, your ethics, your values, your potential, your career, your work ethic, your education. The list goes on and on because they shape every aspect of your life. What you think about God impacts everything else in your life. The thoughts that you hold on to, the ideas, the arguments, these things shape every aspect of our lives. The question is, what's shaping these things in your life? Because I'm going to tell you, I don't even think that, I think that every single person in this room understands this, that our enemy, the devil, Satan, he knows exactly what buttons to push in your life. He knows exactly what ideas you are most susceptible to. He knows what thoughts will trick you. He knows what arguments will persuade you to get you to have a derailed life so that you never fulfill what God has called you to do. Well, you know, if your earthly father was like that, your heavenly father is going to be the exact same way. You can't trust God. 
Well, you know what? The church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. You know what? Just they don't do what they. I mean, they're just all in it for themselves. Yeah, look at these TV preachers, man. They just beg people for money and all this stuff. Listen, that's no different than any other church. You don't need to be a part of the church. Well, you know, I mean, your marriage isn't going very well right now. You know, that person at work looked at you that way. I bet you they could fulfill you a whole lot more than your spouse could. These are fortresses. These are strongholds that if we let them set up shop will derail your entire life. I am a victim. I always have been a victim. I always will be a victim. And that's just the way it is, Michael. I have had this experience and that experience. I'm a loser. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. My teacher said this about me. My father said that. My mother said this. My grandparents said this. Let me tell you something. Those are strongholds that if you cling to them in your life, you have been given divine power to tear those things down, to get them out of your life, to say that is not an idea that I will embrace any longer. That is not a thought that I'm going to carry into 2019. I'm going to let it go because God has divinely powered me to say no to that thought in that fortress that's what God has for you that's what God has in store for you and every single one of us even right here we can sometimes just sit here and go oh yeah yeah I recognize that fortress I recognize that fortress do you know what the real hard question is here's the real hard question and it hit me just this week the real hard question is what are the strongholds and the fortresses that we refuse to let go of what are we holding on to that we say, God set me free, God set me free. And God says, I would love to set you free if you just let it go. Whew. That's for somebody in this room today. I don't know. The fortresses and the strongholds of our lives do not have power over our lives. Because God has given us weapons to overcome them. This is why truth matters. This is why the scriptures matter. This is why being a part of the body of Christ matters. That's why the songs that we sing matter. When we sing the song that says, I am a child of God. I know that my Father has prepared a place for me. I know that you are for me and not against me. Because ideas matter. That's why the things that you watch, the things that you listen to, all of these things matter because what you allow to come into your mind will shape your life if you allow it to. That's why all these things matter. So we have to choose, God, what am I going to allow to impact and influence my thoughts? That's why I challenge you this next year, spend time in the Scripture. Get your face into God's word and find out what he says about you, what he says about himself, what he says about your future, what he says about your life. Because it's in moments of struggle when I forget. Listen, there are times when you read Psalm 42 and you hear the author saying things like, Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You know what? Sometimes you have to be your own best preacher. Sometimes you have to speak to your own soul and say, why are you so downcast within me? Put your hope in God. I know that I can trust him. I know that he's faithful. I know that he's never left me. I know that he will always be there. He's promised it, and he's never forsaken me. So why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. You have to be your own best preacher sometimes. You may have to do that through some seasons in 2019. If you want to have joy that continues through your life, 
You have to allow your thoughts, your ideas, and the arguments that persuade you to be shaped not by our culture, not by entertainment, but by what God has said in His Word. That He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. That all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That you have been adopted as sons and daughters and that you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Neither height nor depth nor angel nor demon no nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from His love. Why? Because His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness according to the power of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's who you are. That's what God has made you to be. Not defeated, not walking through life, having strongholds and fortresses weighing you down, but free to be everything that he's called you to be. Because when we allow our perspective to be shaped by scripture, here's what we begin to understand about our joy. It's the last blank in your notes. Here's what we begin to understand. That joy stands upon what we know, whereas happiness stands upon what we experience. Happiness goes up and down. Have you ever noticed that? Happiness goes up and down based upon what I experience. It can be really, really good, or it can be really, really difficult based upon what we experience. It may just be the all instrument, Scott. That's, that's what we have to understand. Oop. Lost, my, lost my mic. Am I good? There we go. What we have to understand is that joy stands upon what we know. And that's why even when our circumstances change and goes up and down, that's the reason why we are able to still maintain joy because it's not based upon what I experience. It's based upon what I know. And when Scripture informs what we know, then, then we can maintain joy in every circumstance of our lives. At the beginning of this message, I asked you to think about the question, what if? What if? Scott, you may just hit the all, on the right-hand side the all instruments. What if you were able to maintain joy in the midst of all circumstances of your life? What if in 2019, it was different because, I don't know what's going on, but I'll be honest with you, I think the message is for somebody today, so don't get distracted by it. Because this message is for somebody. If we need to kill the music, then just kill it, that's fine. Is that better? This is Kyle's mic. It's nice that it's labeled. Testing. There we go. Here's what I want you to think about. What if you were able to maintain joy in your life? What if you didn't allow the circumstances that you're going to face in 2019, whatever they might be, what if you were able to maintain joy to be everything that God has called you to be. What if? What would your life look like a year from now? What would your life look like a year from now if that fortress, that idea, that stronghold, that argument, that idea that has just 
weighed down your mind. What if that fortress was gone? What if that idea was destroyed and pulled down in your life so that in 2019 it was the freest year that you've ever experienced? It's possible because God has given us divine weapons to pull down those strongholds. This next week, we're going to be starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. Let me tell you something. Prayer and fasting are a very mighty weapon in our hands. And you control it. You can control that. You can control whether or not you pray. You can control whether or not you fast. You know, fasting is a way of saying, God, I'm going to deny myself so that I can focus more upon you. This next Wednesday, we're going to have first Wednesday worship on the, what is it, the 9th? You're going to have an incredible opportunity to come and seek God, to come and know Him more. All of these things are tools within your hands. The question is, is are you going to pick them up? Do you hate that fortress so much in your life that you're going to be willing to fight against it? That's the question for us this morning. Let's allow joy to fill up our lives, hope and the power of God so that we can be everything He wants us to be, full of joy in 2019. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are right here, that you're in our midst. God, that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And so, God, I pray that right here in our midst, you would begin to speak and you would begin to move and you would begin to point out the things in our lives. What are those ideas What are those fortresses? What are those thoughts? What are those arguments? What are those things in our lives, God, that have set up shop that we aren't even aware of? What are those things, God, that have built up in our lives that have overwhelmed us for years? Those obstacles to our joy, the obstacles toward fulfilling your purpose for our lives, the obstacles to hope, the obstacles to peace the obstacles to being everything that you want us to be. God, right now, in this moment, I pray that your spirit would begin to reveal them to us. God, we want to be with you. We want to enjoy your presence. We want to we want to fulfill everything that you have for us. These good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. God, we want to be a part of it. So I pray today that you would speak to us. I pray today, Father, that you would guide us to be everything that you want us to be. Here's what I want us to do, church. We're going to sing one last song. In fact, we're going to go back and we're going to sing that second song again, I Am a Child of God. What what a song to sing after this message today. A song that declares who I am. Not based upon what I've done, not based upon who I am myself, but based upon who God is and what He has done for me. What a song that declares that my Father has prepared a place for me, that I don't have to worry about the future, I don't have to worry about my suit, because God is making a place for me. That I am reminded that I am not a citizen of this world, but I am a citizen of heaven, and I eagerly await a Savior from there. I want to invite our prayer teams to make their way forward. And our prayer teams will be lined up on the left side and right side of this auditorium. 
and they'll be made available. If you want to step out during this song and you want to join with somebody and you want to partner with somebody that you just want somebody to stand there with you to say, here I am, I'll pray with you about this. You don't have to be specific. If you want to tell them what you want them to pray about, you can do that. If you don't want to, you just say, pray that I can overcome these fortresses in my life. Then just let them know. But they can come alongside you, put a hand on your shoulder to say, you're not alone. We're standing here with you as a church. So why don't you stand with me this morning?